episode of the Classic Pickup Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whips, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by Classic Pickup Supplies, your number one Ford and Chev pickup parts supplier. Mention Classic Truck for a 10% discount off your first order. Classic Pickup Supplies, located in Coolum Beach, Queensland. Call 07 5446 2667. Or visit their website, www.classicpickupsupplies.com.au. Classic Pickup Supplies, dedicated to the restoration and preservation of the pickup. Episode 55. This week I catch up with Aiden Hunt. He goes under the handle of Coachworks by Aiden and, and does some really amazing uh, sheet metal work. Uh, really blow me away the work that he's doing. So... We're going to have a good chat to him and uh, I'll attach some cool photos and, and check all that out. I just wanted to say, um, yeah, I'm still alive. I'm still here. Thanks. I've had a few guys reach out. And yeah, once again, it's been a few weeks since we had an episode out. So I apologize for that. I, um, I've i been flat out. I've actually been getting some work done on my truck, which has been really nice. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I had a couple of things lined up that fell through once again and, and just frustrating sometimes. But I'm at the point where I'm like, well, it's not the end of the world if we don't get an episode out, so um, soldier on. But yeah, here we are. We're coming back again, and I've got a few good ones lined up. Uh, I want to touch base a bit on the truck show. Uh, still had a few guys messaging me, and at the moment, uh, it's still going ahead. So I've had to register as a you know an official not-for-profit organization, uh, new ABN. I've had to open bank account for it, do all that sort of stuff. So uh, it's going to be called the Classic Pickup Roundup. And it's going to be in Wodonga on November the 4th. Still having some issues with the the main venue I want to use uh, only really holds 89 trucks. And that may be perfectly enough and it may not. I don't know. So at the moment, um, what we're doing, and and I think we've gone through this a few times, but I'll just take a minute and we'll chat about it again. Uh, Basically, it'll be the 4th of November. It's the Thursday before the bright rod run down here in Victoria. So the idea is you can get down here on the maybe Wednesday night, spend the day Thursday with all the pickups. Uh, we're going to go out to the Wodonga Taste Logic Track, which is it's about 15 minutes out of Wodonga, um, and it's a you know a training area where they they do driver training and, and motorbike training and that sort of stuff for the TAFE. But it's also they have an automotive class out there and they teach uh, guys how to do sport and race suspension basically you can do a course to become a mechanic for a a racing team so they do a lot of testing and they've got some really cool facilities out there it's quite a big space so we're going to be out there from 8 till 3 uh, 8 a.m till 3 p.m it's about 25 dollars ahead if you want to drive your truck around the track you probably get five or six laps of the track i think it's 1.6k track something like that but you can basically uh you know if you've got a good solid v8 you've done a bit of uh, work to it you can actually give it a proper flog and, and put it around the track uh, we don't have any official timing there uh, that's another whole level of uh, insurance and organization but what we'll do is we'll have some stopwatches there so if you and your buddy want to sort of see whose truck goes around the track the quickest there's some stopwatches there and you know you can time each other that's not a problem 
So that will be, yeah, out there from eight till three. We'll have a big barbecue set up, a little bit of a fundraiser with that. And what I'm sort of picturing at this point is that's going to be the truck show for the truck guys So and truck girls, sorry. But, you know, if you want to park up next to all the other truck guys and girls and, and we're the only ones there, I'm not really pushing this out to the public. It's just a track day. Uh, if you don't want to put your truck around a track, that's fine. We're just going to have a really nice spot to park up and everyone can have a chat. Uh, we'll do, we can have a bit of a tour of the TAFE's area and all their mechanical setup. They've got suspension and engine rooms and all sorts of cool stuff. So, you know, real enthusiasts, truck get together at that stage. And then from four o'clock till about nine o'clock, we're going to have what I'm calling the public show and shine. It's going to be right in the middle of town, dead center in the middle of all the shopping centers and everything. It's, it's a fantastic spot. Uh, there's a pub there. It's called the Good Shed. We're going to have the area license. So you'll be able to grab a beer, have a walk around, check out all the trucks. Um, we'll have some vendors there and that sort of thing as well. So it's going to be really good for the general public to come and have a look. Uh, but as I mentioned, it's limited to how many vehicles we can park up inside there. And because of that, what I'm going to do is, and and hopefully by next week's episode, I'll have uh, bank account details. And I can really put this across. But what I'm going to do is if, if you've got a really nice truck and you want to park it up in the show and shine that night, then it'll be $50 a head to lock yourself into one of those car parking spots in, in the main arena there. Uh, all that money, it's going to go to uh, the charity. It's going to be research for uh, motor neuron disease. So, yeah, $50 locks you in your spot. You don't have to worry about anything else. Um, drive down, come to the track day, then drive out, and you'll have your allocated spot, and you'll park your truck up, and the public can ch- check it out. You know, hopefully you lay it out on its airbags or you do whatever you want to do, and uh, really, really cool. So, I mean, it's just basically in case – which would be awesome. We get two, 300 people turn up to the track day. I can't fit all those trucks in the location in town where we're going to be. And I figure it's just going to be mainly for the public anyway. So if you're happy to do it, you want to pay some money, you want your truck to be there, it's going to be the 50 bucks. Um, we'll see how this year goes. If if we if we get 500 trucks and it's massive and everyone wants to park there, then we'll change locations next year. We'll do something much bigger, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, at the moment, obviously, COVID is just wrecking havoc in everywhere sydney new south wales um real pain in everyone's backsides especially down here where we're all locked down so this is all i'm planning it as if we're in our new normal covid life so you can you know you'll it'll be roped off you'll have to check into the venue and do all that sort of stuff but hopefully we can still have the event uh if it if covid's still running rampant and we keep having lockdowns like this and it's it doesn't run then it'll be next year which will suck but we'll see what happens uh fingers crossed November's still a little ways away, so hopefully that all happens. So, yeah, get ready for some more info. Um, I will I'll put out some details or you can message me and I, I can start adding you to a list and, and giving you those details and you can lock yourself in for a parking spot in the main show and shine at uh, Junction Place. Otherwise, uh, absolutely everyone welcome to come out to the track day. Um, in my mind, we'll make that the big event that for us, you know, for everyone that wants to open the hood and really find out what's going on with each truck. Um, that's where we'll be. Okay. So, uh, oh, and on top of that, there's, there's a bit of a crew that are leaving Brizzy. They're going to leave Brizzy on the Tuesday, which, uh, my mass is not real good. That'll be the second or the first of November, I suppose, whatever the Tuesday is. And, uh, they're doing a bit of a southbound and down. So they're going to road trip from Brizzy 
as they come down south, they're going to keep picking people up, working their way down through Sydney, and there's going to be a bit of a convoy of trucks, which I think is really cool. So, yeah, if you're interested in um, maybe tagging along with those guys, shoot me a message. I'll put you in touch. Um, all, all trucks welcome. doesn't matter what you're driving. Um, they're really looking forward to coming down here. So that's a whole bunch of rambling from me. Uh, this interview with Hayden ran pretty long too, so I think this will be you know hour and a half episode, but that's all right. We like talking about trucks. Aiden's, uh, yeah, he's done a lot of really cool vehicles. You'll we'll talk about them, and you'll have seen a few of them, uh, especially if you're a street machine magazine kind of guy. So really hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, there'll be a bunch of photos attached to this. There's always photos on the website. There's a gallery of each episode, and uh, yeah, if you if you're enjoying his stuff, I really encourage you to have a look at his work because it um it blows my mind. So I wish I could do half of what he does. Anyway, hope you enjoy this interview with Aiden Hunt from Coachworks by Aiden. So, Aiden, mate, thanks for taking some time and and having a chat to us on the podcast. I've I've been a real avid follower of your work. I I don't know how I came across it originally, but you've been working on a Bentley for quite a while, and and it just blows my mind some of the stuff you can do, mate. So, welcome to the podcast. How you been? Yeah, good, mate. Thanks for having me. No, it's uh, it's great. We um. You know, we talk to a lot of guys who build, you know, engines or they, you know, build trucks and all sorts of things. But one of the one of the things that's definitely a big part of restoring or customizing any of these old trucks is is definitely the sheet metalwork. So it'd be really good to have a chat to you about it. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, take us back a bit. You know, uh, like we always have a chat to each um, guest on the podcast and and just get an idea of what molded you into what you're doing now? I mean, tell us a bit about your early automotive memories and, and first car and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I guess it all started most like most, uh, guys is, is, is dad. Um, I remember dad having a gray, uh, I think it was a 63, uh, Chevy Bel Air, just a right hand, you know, right hand drives like an Aussie delivery car. You could barely fit in the garage. Um, you know, sort of having to get out before you, you know, roll the car into the garage. Um, I sort of remember that when I was, you know, only a couple of years old. I think that was probably my first memory of a of a car. Um, and then, you know, going to summer nights with dad as a kid and sitting on his shoulders and pointing out all the tri-fives and stuff like that. So I was always a fairly big uh, Chevy fan, uh, especially tri-fives in the beginning. I think just um, seeing things like posters on dad's wall in the shed and stuff like that, um, you know, with the tri-fives and, you know, different Chevys, and he's he's always had, uh, you know, Monaros and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, I think it just sort of led on from there. And uh, sort of the kid that you know, always had RC cars and stuff, and, you know, you'd crack, you'd sort of crash them and then, you know, pull the cover off and try and fix it. And sometimes you'd fix it, sometimes it was electrical, so you had no idea what you're doing, and you'd just, you'd just throw it in the bin. But, you know, and then as I got a little bit older, you know, I'd, I'd start, you know, cutting the bottom out of them and sort of like trying to body drop the body drop it so it had a little bit lower stance and all that sort of stuff um yeah so you started customizing rc cars at a pretty early age then yeah yeah i was always trying to i was, I was never really happy with anything sort of standard i always had to try and uh, try and improve it even though i probably like a lot of the time probably you know lowered it too much where you couldn't turn the wheels properly and stuff like that but i was always always trying to make improvements, um, you know, get a get something and peel the decals off it and stuff so you had a little bit more slicker paint job and, you know, remove the spoiler and, you know, super glue the holes up and get some touch-up paint and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, the imagination starts going pretty early. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Yeah, yeah. You, you really do get moulded by what your, your dad's into, I think. You know, like I remember 
same thing. Like I wasn't tri five; it was just the fifty seven Chev sedan for me. It was you know like yeah, right. all yeah. the model cars I had and all the things back when I was you know a lot younger. It was all always a fifty seven Chevy. I don't know why, and like I still like the look of them, but it's probably not the sedan I'd buy these days. But yeah, they're, they're yeah, cool. no, nah, me neither. Yeah, exactly. I was I was I was pretty infatuated with the fifty seven as well. Um, I think Dad, when he was younger, had a fifty six. Um, that was he sort of you know customized a fair bit. Um, but yeah, I always prefer the fifty seven. Now these days, it's not the it's nowhere near the fifty seven. I prefer fifty eight or uh, you know sixty one or something like that. But um, yeah, yeah, definitely influenced a lot by um, that sort of stuff. Yeah, and and what was your dad's background? You know, was he was he in the automotive trade? At- in any way or was he just uh really loved no no so um uh, growing up he was like a a pretty uh handy sort of uh, soccer player so he um sort of sort of ditched sort of didn't want to pay too much attention to school um he was always into always into cars and you know in hindsight he always says that he wanted to you know he he should have been a spray painter but you know he was trying to chase the soccer dream and he went to england and uh, played reserves and stuff like that over there and then sort of got to the point where he wasn't good enough and then, you know, uh, I guess work wasn't so, you know, you couldn't just go into an apprenticeship because I think he, I think my mum might have felt pregnant with me and it was sort of just like, oh, you know, you've got to get a job. So he sort of, I think he just sort of worked for the local council and just, you know, driving trucks and stuff like that. Um, so it just sort of, that the whole automotive career fell away, but he does say that's like always been uh, one of his biggest sort of regrets was not, um, doing like fully doing an automotive course. I think he did do like basic sort of like you know um, those sort of handy sort of DIY resto sort of uh, taste taste courses. Um, but yeah, never never fully went down that path. Yeah, it's it's tough. There's you know you you see all these professional sports people, and you know there's for every one that makes it, there's hundreds that chase the dream and and they don't. Yeah. Care and, yeah, 100%. yeah, yeah, and I, I was almost down that path myself. Yeah, right. Yeah, and so you played soccer yeah. as a junior as well. Yeah, 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 and then I sort of got uh, influenced by um, you know friends playing footy and stuff when I was you know on the verge of, of of being able to go and do some you know play for a lot better teams and stuff. But I just wanted to hang out with my mates and play footy, so I sort of you know stopped and went played footy and then come back to soccer but you know that by that time you know through your body maturing and stuff i sort of sort of fell away from the from that sort of higher level a little bit yeah you you got to be either all in or you're not going to be there don't you? exactly yeah 100 yeah. 100%, 100%. Yeah. cool and so then when what what would have been your first car that you sort of owned was that something you did when you were 18 or did you have a project you were working on before you got to that point um, so dad, dad bought a, um, a, a mint, uh, not early 97 model Hilux, uh, dual cab, um, to, uh, I can't remember what year it would have been, probably maybe 2006 or so. Oh, no, probably even, yeah, probably about 2006. And then I got my P's, uh, I think it was 2008 and, um, I bought that off him for like two grand. Um, and then my... I had a cousin that was uh, a mini trucker, um, fairly sort of prominent in the mini truck scene, um, and he was he was he was building a dual cab at the time. I think it was a Mazda um, B2000 or something like that, and uh, you know it was body dropped and, and bagged and stuff. I just thought it was the coolest thing, so sort of went down that line as well. You know, started 
I just, you know, started sort of doing like, you know, white walls and just static drop and, you know, wind down the spindles and blocks in the back and reset leaves and stuff like that. And then um, went down to a bag, you know, had enough money to bag the rear end, so I bagged the rear end and then, you know, saved up a little bit more coin and had enough money to bag the front end. But it was my daily driver, so it was always like, you know, try and smash it out. I think I bagged the front end in a, bagged the front end and tubbed it in a weekend or something with one of my mates. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was just just a mini truck, mini truck scene to start off with, just um, building that sort of stuff. And then um, I haven't really owned a whole lot of, I haven't really owned a whole lot of cars. Like I had that as my first car, and then after that, I, I sold it and and I bought a single cab Amarok, planning to to really cut it up. But then it was in the in its um, you know, still in warranty and a brand new car being a Euro and all that sort of stuff. I just I just didn't sort of touch it. Um, and then, you know, family, like, you know, end up having a couple of kids and all that sort of stuff down the line. And I've only just got around to notching, notching the back of it now. So the rear sits about 110 mil um, at its lowest point. And the front, I, you know, dropped it down. I think it was like, end up dropping it like 80 mil or something. So it sits not much above the tyre um, now. So and that's just my daily driver. Um, yeah. No, that's cool. Are there uh, are there many Amaroks that have been kind of slammed? I don't know if I've ever seen one. <laughs> no, one. I, I know I know of one in Australia that's been done, and it's, it's a single cab that's been bagged, and it's really tidy job. It was done by uh, Killer Customs up in Sydney, um, and then I think there was some dude in Brazil or something done like some crazy hydro on a dual cab. But other than that, not not really. They're not really set up for it. Like, and most of them are four wheel drive. Mine mine was a two wheel drive, so um, don't have to deal with all the front drive shafts and stuff like that. Um, yeah, but most, most people, like, you know, when they buy a car that's that high, they're going full drive style. So, um, yeah, I've never been into that sort of stuff, so I just go opposite. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, cool. And you mentioned to me earlier when we were chatting um, that the old man's got a Chevy pickup. Tell us a bit about that truck and, and sort of how long he's had it and where he got it from. Yeah, so he got that car um, from, I think it was up in Queensland. Uh, I think he, he sort of bought it sight unseen he's always like i said he's always been in the chevys he had a 62 so 62 bel air um as well that he bought from the states um and then he wanted approach he wanted the pickup truck um because he got a vintage caravan and i think him and his missus have sort of had the idea of driving around australia once they sort of you know they restored the the caravan first and then they bought the pickup truck and it looked way better in the photos than what it was when it showed up it was actually um complete rat shit to be honest um so he's just had to do a full, full, complete resto on that. But, you know, he, he's, he's notched the back and put it on a set of coils. Uh, I think he's put a Mustang 2 front end in it. Um, I think it's just got a 280, uh, just a tidy 283, nothing, you know, nothing power-wise. Um, but, you know, he's done, he's, and he's done it all himself, you know. So I taught him how to MIG weld. Um, so he's done all the, you know, he put in all the, I think I tacked in all the lower cab corners and stuff like that, but, you know, he finished off all the welding and, and tacked in the, and done welded in the, the new side steps and floor pans and shaved his firewall. And, you know, I think he got a set of uh, front guards from Brothers Speed Shop, uh, I think they're called, over in the States. Uh, they don't really fit that nice, so he had to do some, I think they sort of give you instructional videos on how to chop them up and make them fit. So he had done, he done all that himself. And, he, like, so he's done it all in his shed and, he, and he's, a little bit of a perfectionist, um, and yeah, but he's just he's just sort of taught himself all all of that stuff, and and it's come up um, come up pretty nice, to be honest. No, it's that's cool. That it's funny that you get to teach your dad how to do stuff. You know, that's yeah, 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 yeah. 
yeah, it's 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 those, a lot of those repair panels. I guess you know you hear so many guys buying them, and then they don't actually fit perfectly, and then you have to sort of finagle them a little bit. And and I guess you know, like if if you've got an English wheel or you've got a little planishing hammer or something, it's a little bit easier. But for a lot of guys who just order something and think that it's going to fit perfect, it's not always the case, is it? No, definitely not. Uh, it's most likely not. I mean, that they, I guess, the, the, they probably invested. They invested in a stamp uh, some time ago, I'm guessing, and then and then when they pump out so many stamps, the stamp just wears. Um, it's just the just the reality of it. If they're not going to keep on investing into their stamp, uh, getting new stamps made up of their original scan or whatever it was, the the parts just going to get sloppier and sloppier, where you know body lines will loosen and and I mean that's what happens in in, in you know um, in the factories. I, I come from a smash repair background, is where I sort of started in automotive and. And, you know, you'd get, say, a BA Falcon or something, and you'd know when you got a BA Falcon that was further down the production line because they would have sort of more shims in, in, say, the guards or the bonnets or stuff like that. And that's when they knew in the factory when they had to replace their stamps. So, you know, for the aftermarket industry, they they just, I guess they don't have the coin to sort of invest in those redoing the stamps all the time. So that's why these panels get sloppier and sloppier. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And so you did an apprenticeship, as a panel beater? As a panel beater, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was never sort of into the whole just sanding and prepping. I, I just couldn't think of anything worse than just prepping panels all day as an apprentice and stuff. So I was, I wanted to get into metal work because I, I always had the, the thought of, you know, going down and, and having my like my own custom shop in the, in the in the future. Like when I, the day one, when I started my apprenticeship, it was like, that's what I'm going to do. It was, it was I was going to have my own custom shop. So I... You know, only got into smash repair just to learn the the basics of metal work and stuff because I just thought that you know you go into tech and you learn how to TIG weld and you're learning how to they do give you the basics of learning how to use the English wheel and stringer stretches and folders and all that sort of stuff. So I just thought if I applied myself as hard as I could through that, that would be the best uh, avenue to go down. Yeah, and you and you think that that plan worked? You know, you really got those base skills. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Um, when I was at when I was at tech, I sort of um, I've always been that little bit of a perfectionist. Probably, probably stems from my dad. Always sort of chasing that in me. And I, um, yeah, I would, I would get to tech and I would sort of smash my workout in in the first day, and we'd go in three day blocks. So the for the rest of the days, um, the teacher would be like, "Well, just go do something." So I'd grab some metal and I'd, I'd just, you know, I'd, I'd just start playing on the English wheel and understanding what English wheel done and trigger stretches. And then by the time I got to like my third year fourth year like we had um i think there was actually an uh probably an early, a late 90s uh f250 in the shop that the one of the teachers was doing for for a mate of his or something and, and i had to end up i ended up shaving all the door handles and you know uh bits and pieces on that sort of stuff so it, being applying myself like whenever i went to sort of tech um allowed me to to get into that sort of stuff and then it just yeah yeah cool <clears throat> and so so you're working for a shop that was busy enough that you could predominantly do the metal work, but not not all the block sanding and painting. Is that right? Yeah. So so we were the shop when I first started. We were in a shop that turned over about seventy cars a week. Um, so it was quite substantial, and um, so it was only like you know panel beaters and painters were completely separate. We only done you know we done we'd do our metal work and our filler work, and then send it to the painter to do the that would do the priming and the um, the priming and the the painting 
in a, in the smaller shops, like, you know, if there's only sort of two panel beaters and one apprentice or something like that, it would be the case where the, the painters, like the uh, apprentices would do the prime-ups and the, and the box handing and stuff like that. But uh, no, I only, only took it to fill the work and that was it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I did an apprenticeship in in carpentry and building, and you know, like the the guy I worked for, we you know we would dig the trenches for the footings, and we would like build everything to the point where we'd put the number on the letterbox at the end, and you know finish the house. And then a lot of the guys at my trade school, you know, like they just spent all day on a drop saw cutting studs and noggins. Yeah, and, right. and so there's that different skill set and. I guess if you just did framework all the time, you get super good at framework. And I guess like building a car, you know, there's a specific bit that, that you're good at. Whereas I guess, you know, like painting and that sort of stuff's not, not something you're super into. So yeah, that's interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. It's a difference. It's a sort of the very two different trades. It used to be back in the day, it used to be panel beaded spray painting all in one trade. And, um, I think now with like all the, the different technology with like uh, color matching and, and I guess I, I think what really separated it was the panel beating got so difficult. Like, you know, there's so many different, um, like, I mean, I couldn't even do it these days. Like in smash repair, I don't think, um, you know, like with all the different steels and the, like just there are different repair processes. It's changed. It's a constantly changing um, thing with their, and you know, new technologies, the car aligners and all that sort of stuff that they it just got so, so crazy that they had to separate the two. Um, but I was lucky where I sort of, where I, as an apprentice, I worked for a contractor inside. He was a contractor in the panel shop. So he needed his, his, he had two apprentices working for him. He needed them to, you know, not just taking off bumper bars and putting on fresh ones. It was like he needed us doing door skins and quarter panel changeovers. So, you know, when I was going to tech, most guys would be starting a quarter panel changeover in their third year where I was doing it in like four months of starting my trade. So I was lucky enough where I had a, a uh, um, you know, like he was a Vietnamese dude and he was just, he just worked all the time and he just wanted to make money for sort of, you know, he immigrated over and wanted to make money for his kids and stuff. So I was able to learn a lot and work a lot of hours and, and really sort of build up sort of skills way beyond um, my sort of the kids I was going to tech with, you know, where I was able to get apprentices a year, first, second, third and fourth year of my trade because I was with, you know, someone that just taught me so many skills so early on. Um, which is yeah very beneficial. No, sounds like a perfect way to do it. I I'm next door to a smash repairs here in in our little town, and and uh, you know I sort of spend a lot of time there having a beer and a coffee or whatever, and and I'm always ribbing them, you know, that half the time they don't even fix a panel; it just gets thrown out, and a new one goes yeah, on there, and just panel replaces. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and I said to um, Corey the other day, he was in there doing some plastic welding, and I'm like, "You do more plastic welding than you do metal welding," and he was like, "We do. Like that's just the way it is now." Yeah, they insurance companies just wrecked it. They just, they they wrecked the industry. They just I think I got out at the perfect time, just when they started to the insurance companies started to take their um a lot of the time there used to be a lot of mandates i think laws where insurance companies couldn't own panel shops uh where that had changed not long after i had left the trade where so now you've got shops that are that are owned by they're owned by the insurance company and they like yeah they're, they're just not very nice <laughs> so and then they start you know and then and then they start making people say panel shops compete for a, a car so they would have one car and they'll say okay you've got to get three quotes so then this guy would have a look at the first quote and he would under, you know, underquote it and he would drop his hourly rate or, or say, you know, I'll do the door skin for two hours less or whatever. And then once that, 
done. They set a precedent, and then they have to do it for that amount all the time, and then they undercut each other again, and it goes down, and then it just got, it just gets ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these, yeah. these guys it's find bad. it hard because I know a lot of people who you know like they've got insurance on their car, they they've just got whoever was cheapest or whatever happens, and then and then they wreck the car, and they're like, oh well, I want to take it to my local panel shop and support them. And their insurers like, they're not. Nah, they're not an approved um, repairer for yeah. us, and and they really yeah. battle with that to get people to, you know, locals have got. You've almost got to select when you get your insurance that you want to be able to select your own repairer. It's interesting stuff. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's very sad. It's it, and I think it's killing the trade. And I think it's there's a lot less and less talented uh, metal workers because of that, because of just the way that you know, no one knows how to do anything anymore. Um, it's yeah, it's it's sad. I mean, I can see why it's done. Like you know, obviously, the insurance companies are there to make money. The car companies are there to make money. They make money off parts, not off someone crashing their car or car sales. That's why car sales are so cheap because then they're able to just ramp the price up on on um, parts when you crash them. So you know, things now like they're made out of like you know, your whole front end, you'll crash your front end like because if you hit a kangaroo. And it's all made out of it's pretty much all made out of plastic, all your radio supports and all that sort of stuff except for your chassis rails. And uh, you know, it's a seven thousand dollar accident and then six thousand dollars are in parts. So that's that's just how they can do it. Yeah, it's it's sad and I guess that's why we all love the old stuff of the real steel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and run away, run away from the from the smash repair industry. Yeah, yeah. The the Tupperware world. So yeah. Um, you finished your apprenticeship. Did did you work there for a while, or you know what sort of shops did you no, bounce around? Um, okay, so I so I first started in, in the big smasher shop, and I was there for about two and a half years. Um, at the time, there was a really there was a really like sort of top. He was known as one of the better sort of um, panel beaters in in like in Canberra where I am, and um, he and one of the painters that was in the shop that I was at, they they bought one of like so the shop that I had that he had three businesses and um they bought one of the shops. Um and that that summer I think that was about September and that that Christmas time they gave me a call and said, Hey, we'd like you to, to come over and work with us. So I went over there um just as I was entering my third year. Um I finished my trade um I didn't do the full like full four years. I I done it in about three and a half years just because I finished tech real early. Um and once that was done, I think I, I worked as a tradesman there for maybe like three months, and I was like, no, nah, I'm out. Uh, I don't want to do smash repair anymore. They were doing a little bit of restoration work, but it wasn't enough for what I wanted. So um, I knew Graham from from downtown, um, and I just sent him a, I just sent him a text and said, hey, like you know, do you do you need anyone that does work uh, or need, need like you know looking for a, a worker? And he said, oh, you know, yeah, sure thing. So I just jumped ship and, and just moved up there, um, you know, told the missus that, like, you know, I just, I've got to do this. This is what I want to do, building custom cars. So, um, yeah, so we packed up and moved, like, six hours from, from home um, up to downtown. Uh, I was there for uh, four years. Uh, yeah, about, about four years. And then um, sort of, I sort of just got a little bit... Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what happened. To be honest, I um, I had a job offer from the Brosa shop in in America, and um, just with it was in the middle of the 2016 election, and 
I I wasn't able to get uh, my like my papers and stuff because they wanted me to move over there full time. Was the only way that they were going to do it, um, just because of the the way the immigration was at the time. I wasn't able to get my papers to to move over there, so that opportunity sort of left, and I just got I just got a sort of a little bit disheartened with the trade, I think, and um, I bought a, a franchise um, back down in Canberra and and moved back down there, and I was just coaching coaching preschool soccer like as my business. I still have I still have that. Um, and I was out, so I was out. I was out of the industry for like probably two and a half years. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just lost, I just lost that love. I just really took the wind out of my sail. I was just, I, I don't know. I think I probably just got in my head and just thought, sort of thought I wasn't good enough or whatever. And um, and then and then I sort of got to the point where I was like, you know, I think I could get back into it. So, um, so I did. So yeah, then I um, started uh, working with uh, Lucky Speed Shop um, down here in Canberra, and uh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's quite a journey. That's pretty cool. So you talked about downtown customs, and and I uh, I just recently got the latest Street Machine magazine, and uh, and there's a there's a nice Monaro on the front cover, Peter Sharp's seventy uh, two. <laughs> I know it well. You know it well. Yeah. So tell us a bit about that. I mean, you you did a shit ton of work on that car, right? Yeah, I probably I think I worked on that car for probably two and a half years straight without anything like without working on anything else. Wow. Um, yeah, so uh, you know, I I done all. Um, I, I made the made the boot lid, uh, the, low, the lower quarters, the lower the lower the lamps, both bumper bars, front of the lamps, the bonnet, uh, the engine bay, all the engine bay inner structure. Um, you know, done some stuff with the you know getting the windows working and uh, yeah, just. It's it's, uh, it's it's like almost too much to even too much to remember, but you know, remade so remade all the inner boot frame, all the inner bonnet frame, um, you know, all those all those little filler panels, and just yeah, <laughs> a fair bit, a fair ton of work on that car. Yeah. So so you would you wouldn't take, you know, like in my mind, how I would think to do something would be to take the original bonnet and then customize it and weld parts in it or change it, but you're talking about brand new flat sheet of metal and you turn that into the bonnet that's on the car yeah so um when we uh i had made the i had made the frame um like we had to because it's had the um it's got ring brothers hinges on it and just to sort of make them look a little bit nicer when the bonnet was up i had to remake around that section just to sort of center it a little bit um with the surrounding sort of uh lines and um once we sort of got we got the frame swinging and we put and we pulled it down and realised that it was going to the blower was going to hit um, on the bonnet and and just pop outside the bonnet uh, the original bonnet skin um, and we didn't we want didn't want that so instead of putting a, like a reverse cowl or something on it which we're not really into and it's sort of against the sort of style of the car um, we decided to uh, the, the HQ um, at the very front say the, the body line is about an inch high and then as it rolls around and goes towards the back of the back of the bonnet it just tapers down to pretty much nothing as it goes up onto the cow um, and I was like oh well why don't we just take that line at the front the inch high and just run it the same distance the whole way through um, and that will give us that end up giving us our clearance so then obviously you know you had to modify the cow to give it you know that you know raise that section up so, so then you're making, you know, you could you could remake the, I mean, you could, but you were remaking 
you know, 90, 90% of the bonnet. So it was like, you might as well make the sides as well. And, and because they extended, they, sorry, they extended the, um, the nose, the, the, there was no nose cone on that car. So the, the guards become, so it become one shut line the whole way through. Um, it was just, just easier just to, just to make a new one from scratch than to, um, you know, sort of, yeah, get the, get the original bonnet that sort of had, you know, they're pressed, so they don't really have the right sort of shape in them. Like, you know, you can add a little bit more, um, just a little bit, just pump it a little bit extra with the English wheel, just a, you know, a couple of passes will just give it that little bit extra strength and rigidity. Um, one of the things that we, I like to do was not to have the bonnet frame touching the skin, um, which basically that's how those old cars keep the rigidity in their bonnet is just by they just sort of they're touching the skin and there's glue and stuff there um and because when the when that car's painted and the sun hits it that glue will heat up and it will pull the pull sort of low spots in the skin so i'd rather sort of build a skin that has a little bit more strength in it so that's where you know putting that little bit of extra shape in it uh can help um so yeah it's just easier for me to make something from scratch and to deal with the original stuff yeah it's amazing like it's yeah I, I mean, I was looking through all the photos in the mag and, and I've gone through and had a look through your Instagram and, and downtowns as well. And, you know, just the amount of work into that. I hate to know the build budget on that car. It's unbelievable. Just the interior would probably pay for my truck. But, uh, you know, it's, it's good to see that, you know, the right people with the right pockets can can keep that sort of a build happening because, you know, I, I think it'd be very easy for us to just have really generic kind of boring builds and and just to, to have those real high-end builds which i don't think we get a lot of in australia i mean obviously we do get them but you know compared to you go to a sema show or something like that then everywhere you look there's something like that but here in australia yeah, it's, exactly it's pretty it's pretty cool to see someone and and that's how someone like you with your skills can keep doing that sort of thing yeah yeah exactly you know like there's definitely people um there's there's more people out there than what you think but i think the average the average sort of punter that might you know have a business and they've got a a bit of coin i I don't think they still don't realize the extent of what goes into a car like that you know um one thing it it, it like affects the next thing and that affects three things down the line and you know you think just what like doing one little modification is it but it really isn't like yeah, just it's yeah. Usually, one modification turns into three modifications to try and get the, the original concept to actually work as as it should. Yeah. So, how much of that Monaro is original metal? Uh, oh, basically nothing. Um, the the center of the roof um, is a bit. Uh, it's got all new floor pans. Uh, yeah basically barely any um with the because like even even when we like say when the the rear was tubbed um that it was tubbed before i got there but then when i come time to trying to fit the say the rear window making the rear window mechanism work and stuff um you know because to have the original uh quarter windows still go up and down because it's still all original glass um the tubs in like intruded into the space that i had to work so then i had to you know remake all the metal to mount the original motor, but I had to remount the original motor in a different position, but still make it work like it did originally. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, you know, modifying the arms and the pivot angles of how, of how the window will move up and down and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, there's barely any original on it. Like say the, the inner bonnet frame, 
I started remaking it, and by the time I got to by the time I got to the end of it, I think there was maybe like maybe twenty percent of the even the original bonnet frame left as original metal. Like the rest of it was just changed, and yeah, mm, crazy. Yeah, yeah not cool. much. <laughs> so, so to give like, yeah. to give guys listening a bit of an idea, like say, let's say the bonnet. Yeah. How many hours is in that? Is that is that a month's worth of work? Is it a week's worth of work? What would it take you to build um, that custom bonnet? Like the bonnet frame and the skin, or just the skin alone? Whatever the skin. Um. So just just the skin. Uh. Typically, I can do most panels sort of roughly about 50 hours um so it's about it's about a week and a bit or, or like at downtown that was a standard that was a standard week a 50 hour week um so yeah r- roughly roughly a week um probably back then it would have taken me a little bit longer i guess because i'm not as i'm sort of a lot better than what i was uh back then but um yeah i'd, I'd say r- roughly most panels sort of take me about 50 hours to sort of make the panel and then you've got, you know, wrapping it on, say say the frame's already made, you know, wrapping onto the frame and stuff will take you, you know, maybe another day or two. But to make the panel itself, uh, yeah, roughly, most most panels are around the 50-hour mark, unless it's more intricate like a guard. Um, say, say, like, you know, the, I, I made the, the front guard for that HQ um, and I'd done that in six days, so that would have only been about 60 hours in the front guard for the HQ. But, say, the Bentley guard that I... Um, that I'm currently working on, it was a lot, a lot more in it. So that it was maybe, maybe sort of around the 80 hour mark. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Cool. That's, I mean, obviously that's where you just keep honing the skills, isn't it? You, every time you do one, you get better and better at it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's break down a little bit of, you know, just basic metalwork stuff. I mean, I, I've got an English wheel that I bought and it's a, um, I guess it's the Machinery House or, or whatever the Bailey, uh, Bailey brand is, but um, yeah, whatever I got, they're Metal Master. So yeah, I've got a I've got an English wheel, I've got a shrinker stretcher, and I've got a little pneumatic planishing hammer, and and so I'm playing around with some stuff, and I'm widening the guards on my chef pickup, and it's great fun. I'm I'm really loving doing it. Um, yeah, what you know, let's let's just say the average guy's got himself a Chevy pickup or a Maybe he's got a Dodge or a Ford or, or whatever it is, and I mean they all have rust in the in the cab corners, for instance. You know you can yeah. you can get online and order a repair panel that won't fit very well, and then you have to work on it. Well, how hard is it? You know, if you really wanted to have a crack at shaping a repair panel yourself, I mean, what's what's the process for something basic like that? Um. Well, I. I guess I guess it comes down to I mean I, I, I see it as quite a basic uh, it's just it's just a step by step process um, the way the way that I look at it I guess a lot of people see you know you make a full guard or something and they go oh shit that's you know something quite hard to do but I I sort of like because I I taught myself how to do it so I didn't I didn't go and do a metal shaping course or anything like that so and and I had to make it I had to make it on a car like on a customer's car so i just sort of had to just figure it out and um for me it's i see it as quite a basic thing so say say you you've got a rusted panel on there that's you know you, you can still got the basic concept of the panel you can see like you can see all the parts there you can see the lines first thing you do is you start with a piece of paper <clears throat> a piece of paper 
is going you're going to you know put it you mag you're going to magnet on the panel, um, and that's going to be we call it a paper pattern, right? So that's going to be your your map of what you need to do to the panel. So the paper, the reason why you use paper is because it is um, sold the same way as as a sheet of steel. Um, you know, you and and it's going to tell you exactly what the metal needs to do. So you start putting your piece of paper on there, and say the bottom the bottom corner is going to be like you know you, you wrap it around and the top part the top part is, is, is basically just a roll so you're gonna it's gonna be totally fine but as you come to the bottom corner it's gonna start to crown over and so you're gonna get your piece of paper and that's telling you that you if the paper's gonna be all loose on the panel that means that you need to shrink in that area so you'll have to so you'd pucker your paper that tells you the paper is gonna tell you exactly where you need to do your shrinks um, and, and the same thing with a stretch obviously you can't stretch a piece of paper so you have to cut it and that will that will that will tell you where you need to do where you need to do stretching. So that's the that piece of paper is the most important first step. Um, I never sort of was taught that in the beginning. Obviously, teaching yourself that the paper is the most important part. And as you get better and better, um, you know, you, you, that's where you spend. You know, I might spend half a day um, doing a, a paper pattern, and then. You know, by the time you you start ma making the metal, you're already like 95, 90 percent of the way in on the first two days or so because you you spent so much time on that on that paper telling you like you know where you can outline things, um, and and then yeah, so I think I think metal, I think metal shaping is quite a basic quite a basic thing. You can only do a few things with metal. Um, you know, you can there's basically only three things you can do. So you can you can cut and weld. So you put that in say one segment. Um, you can change the area value, so I call that shape. So you can shrink and stretch, um, and then you can change the arrange the arrangement or the form, and that would be folding, um, rolling, uh, say bending it over your knee. Um, that's really the only three segments you can do with metal. Um, and once you can figure that stuff out, it's very like once you can figure out what what each of those things do. And it's very easy because then you just got to go. Okay, I've got too much material here. I must need to shrink it, or I need to, you know, pull a reverse curve. You know, I need to, I need to stretch it, or you know, whatever that may be. So, um, that's that's that for me. That was the biggest thing. Like once I got my head around what are those basic forms, um, like the three segments of what you do with metal. Like obviously, cut and welds. It's quite obvious. So you just, I just throw that away. And it's once you can figure out the difference between shaping and forming. You know, yeah, yeah, you can, yeah, you're sort of golden there, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so you'd make a, a rough paper pattern, and then you'd transfer that to a sheet of steel, and then you'd probably, yeah, exactly. yeah. probably with a texture, you'd mark the different areas. This is the area that I have to probably stretch. This is the area that has yeah, to exactly. shrink. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you, just... yeah, I'll typically use um different color sharpies. Um, so I'll do like black for. I'll do say a black line would be like my um, my body line or something like that. I'll usually do red to shrink, and I'll do like blue or something if I need to stretch. And then when you're outlining it, um, you just you just always know like you know you always keep those three sharpies in your pocket, um, so then you know that that's that's what your functions are. And if you keep on doing that same process all the time, um, it just becomes second nature that it's like oh I need to I need to mark my shrink I'll I'll grab my red sharpie or I need to I need to mark my stretch I'll grab my blue. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, if guys are listening and, and this is all way above their pay grade, so to speak, I mean, when you're talking about shrinking and stretching, most of the time you're talking about probably a foot operated little machine that, that has a set of jaws 
and the jaws clamp on the material and depending on whether you're shrinking or stretching they'll they'll push the steel in together to shrink it or they'll pull it apart to stretch it is that how you normally do that um yeah so that that would like so they call that like a lancaster um style machine so that's like more of a mechanical shrink and stretch um technically like technically you're not shrinking or stretching you're you're just gathering metal to like you know you're just so you're just you're just pulling the metal together or ripping it apart so to i i i, I will try and like for like for a, for a hobbyist um starting out um that's you know that's and that's going to be the easiest the easiest form of shrinking and stretching for sure um you know when you sort of start getting into doing a lot bigger panel and stuff you'll do a thing called like say thumbnail shrinking uh, shrinking so that's basically you're picking the metal up um through like a power hammer or pull max type machine um so you're puckering the metal up and then as you're pulling it back through the machine you're hammering it back on your back on itself so you're actually making the metal because you're shrinking it you're changing the area value you're actually making it thicker so um and then if you're stretching you might do something like linear stretch so that's like a the, the a flat top die and the bottom die will be like a sort of like a line and you're actually like you know hitting the metal and spreading sort of spreading the molecules apart so yeah you're not actually actually ripping it apart you're more compressing it you know just to, to spread it um and then obviously obviously too stretching is um you know with the english wheel like the center of the panel because you're running you know you're running it through through the machine those those little lines are uh, that con that metal and metal contact is 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 uh, stretching as well yeah so it's yeah so there's there's many ways to do things because obviously you know you can also use heat for yeah, for shrinking yeah, for shrinking yeah yeah, yeah for sure yeah. yeah so there's a lot yeah. in it and i mean you know for guys who are listening and, and if it's something that you think you might want to learn a bit more of you know there's a there must be a thousand guys doing YouTube tutorial videos and all that sort of stuff. And there's great books yeah, there's out there. Yeah, a couple of really good basic ones. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I follow and watch a bit of stuff, a guy named Lassie um, in, the, yeah. in the States. Yeah, like he's, he's got a good YouTube channel. Um, it's a, he, he, he's really good for that home guy because he doesn't do, like he doesn't show a lot of like, you know, on the pull max thumbnail shrinking and stuff where like he would do, things where say you're doing like a rate an outside radius he'll do like a tank roll on a bead like on a bead roll and like just a kick shrinker it that's really handy for a home guy um to just to gather that that basic knowledge of making a panel like you know I, w I would approach a panel differently to that um but that's definitely you know there's there's more than one more than one way to skin a cat and that's definitely for for the for the average guy that's wanting to have a crack in their shed uh that's definitely a great place to um you know learn how to do those sort of basics yeah cool and and if we're talking about that cab corner uh you know like say i i go to um classic pickup supplies up there on the sunshine coast and i order a cab corner off a u.s cab and i'm yeah. restoring an aussie truck so it's not exactly the same but it's pretty close to the right shape is that still a good way to go and then we can massage and and get that to fit do you think for a yeah for a i beginner? think i think I think so. Um, I think that is always, always sort of probably the best way for a beginner because you know you can, you know, you, even if you need, even if it's ten mil too big or something, you know, you can always just run a slice up the center of it, cut it in half, let it, you know, fit both halves individually onto the panel, like let it overlap, rescribe a line, and then you're doing, you are doing an extra weld join, but you know, you're going to get a little bit better fit 
of your, of your panel. So, um, you know, and then if you do have a kick shrinker or something, it might just be the matter of like shrinking in an edge or, or something like that. Um, yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, probably without, without wanting to really go down the metal shaping line, that probably is the easiest way um, to do it. But then obviously if a guy wants to, you know, watch some YouTube videos and, and teach himself how to do it, that's definitely a, a great way to do it as well. Mm. No, that's really cool. So, so talking about welding, you know, obviously as far as working on automotive stuff, there's probably only two main choices. I mean, some guys still do some leading and solder work, but I, I think most, most people have probably got a MIG welder and then there's the, yeah. the big scary TIG word, um, yeah. <laughs> which, you know, from, from everything I, I mean, I, I'm most comfortable with a MIG welder and that's what I use pretty much for all the stuff I do. TIG's, TIG's my next big step that I want to take because my understanding is for sheet metal work, it's much easier to work with after you've done the welding. A hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. The MIG just makes it too hard and brittle. It's just adding adding too much material. Um, you've got to you've got to leave that little bit of a gap to get the penetration um, with MIG welding. So uh, yeah, you just you're just putting a lot of heat. You can't really plenish it as it goes. So basically, your metal um, you're putting a lot of shrink like into the panel. So like the heat is shrinking the metal, and because it is so hard, it's hard to stretch it enough when you're plenishing it to uh, to get it back to where it lives. It's just yeah, yeah. So, because you're adding so much wire, um, wire when you're MIG welding, it becomes a lot more brittle. So you're prone to cracking and stuff as well when you're trying trying to massage it back into place. Um, welding, uh, you're really just fusing and adding just a little bit of filler wire, just so you're not undercutting the weld. And and it, and it doesn't. It's no different. You know, like you could you could bang on bang on the TIG weld as hard as you want with a hammer, and you'll you'll split. The, the parent metal just as much as you'll split a TIG weld, you know, if you're if you're really trying to do a test. I, I've done tests in the past, um, and sometimes you know you rip the hole through the rip the hole through the parent metal before you rip a hole through the um, through the TIG weld. Yeah, and I mean, you know, when when you do do that, you know, like what I would do when I've done the work on my guards is, you know, you just you do slowly stitch a bit here, and then you go over there because you try not to get too much heat in, and you do all that work, and then. And then you spend the next three hours grinding it all off again, so you can end up with something close to smooth that you might put in the English wheel. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if if someone does have plans to do quite a bit of automotive repair work, it's probably worth learning how to TIG weld, right? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, TIGs are getting quite cheap now as well. I think that was always a big barrier. You know, you could always pick up a a, a MIG um, quite cheap for only like you know two three hundred dollars. Um, you know, where TIG welders probably now you can probably get ones enough to do sheet metal work for probably like around the say the six hundred eight hundred dollar mark. And um, but it's definitely the way to go. Like if you're you know you really want to try and do a good job, um, yeah, you can't you can't beat that. Just learning that learning that skill of the TIG welder. Um, I can't remember the last time I did a panel. Uh, <laughs> like I have, I literally haven't MIG, MIG welded a panel for you know since I was in Smash Repair. Um, it just doesn't, yeah, I, I would just never do it. I pick up a MIG welder just to get more TIG wire because um, I use, I use, um, it's basically just a bigger, bigger uh, TIG wire dispenser for me um, or I use it for, for a plug weld, but that's, that's about all I use a MIG for. Yeah, that's cool. And and with TIG welding, I, I mean, you've got AC and DC TIG welding, right? Yeah. 
what what's what's the best thing you know like if i'm gonna do more metal metal work on my vehicle what works better for that sort of one mil or thinner steel um yes yeah, so you only use um uh, i've got to mixed up with what the acdc is but the the you only need acdc welder if you're going to do alloy as well um because because it uses a different current um to, to weld with alloy but if you're um just going to um, use the standard. If you're only going to work on on your, say your steel pickup truck, which you know I don't think there's any besides maybe the modern Raptor. There's no alloy body panels on a um, on a pickup truck. You know you don't need AC DC welder. You just need your standard. Um, I think it's just a DC um, welder. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I think that that's it's something that scares people so much and. And the you know coming from a carpentry background myself into working with metal, it it doesn't scare me because if you fuck it up, you just cut it and reweld it and do it again. Exactly. Yeah, and that's that's what I say all the time to you know like I work you know with an apprentice or something like that, and they're so scared of it, and I'm just like it's just metal. Just it doesn't matter. Like because the beautiful and especially mild steel, like, like when you start getting to alloys and and stuff like that, it can be a little bit more a little bit harder because it like you know you got to kneel it and and it's got it work hardens and all that sort of stuff. But with mild steel, if you overstretch it, you just shrink it, you know? And, and if you stretch it too much and, you, and it gets too thin, well, then you fucked it and you've got to put it in the bin. But it's not it's not that big of a deal. Like, it's, it's just metal, you know? If it's too long, you cut it down. If, it's too, if you cut it too short, well, you add another piece on. You've created more work for yourself, but it's it's still completely salvageable. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And... And what's I've seen a few pictures that you've had, and I've seen it in the past as well. And they're they're what you call a flexible shape pattern, and it almost looks like you've just put a shit ton of tape on a panel. What what's the basic uh, principle of that process, and how does it work? Okay, so that is it's basically the way to look at it. It's basically a buck, right? So a, a buck. When I say a buck, I would usually be talking about like a station a station buck or a wire form. So, um, you know, station buck is, you see those wooden, um, you know, wooden slats, which are with all the different profiles along the car. Um, obviously, that's very big and and a, and a lot to store. Um, so um, a flexible shape pattern is you're putting down a layer of low, like a low tack, um, you know, like a, like sort of a, um, a house painter's tape, like a low tack paint. Um, first thing you want to have, you just want that pattern that to lay smoothly over the panel, without, um, you know, without overlapping. So if it does overlap, you'll have to cut, uh, you know, you cut lower than a sort of like a three mil. You want, try and want to have like a, a three to one mil gap. Um, after you've got the whole panel laid out, you will then, um, you'll, I usually get a laser line out and I'll straight, um, straight, pat, like sort of straight, like lines every sort of 150 mil and that's where I'm going to make profiles. Um, so then you'll finish it off with putting fiberglass tape the opposite direction to the first. Um, so you usually put your first tape on a diagonal and then you do your second layer of tape as the opposite direction um, with the fiberglass. And the fiberglass tape, you can overlap it because that's going to hold in all your strength. So basically, the, the, the flexible shape pattern is going to tell you your area value, so your shape, right? So... Um, if you are making a brand new, if you're making a brand new panel, like you, you say you've got one side of the car and you need to make the other side of the car, you know you you pattern up one side of the car with your flexible shape pattern, um, and 
those the, the the black the profile lines that you put on there are going to be basically your buck station. So that would be your form of the panel. So the way that the panel is arranged, because a lot of people. Uh, what they don't understand, and this is where they struggle with the shaping and forming um, part of it. So, like, I could get, say, a, a brand-new pickup guard, right? If I bend that over my knee and fold it in half, the shape of the panel is no different, but the form is completely different. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So, like, the area value has not changed. I haven't shrunk and I haven't stretched. I haven't cut it and I haven't welded it, but the form is different because it's been bent in half. Yeah. Right, so so the, the the flexible shape pattern tells you the area value of the panel. So when you're shaping, you know you can put that on, you can put that piece of pattern over the top of your new panel that you're making. And if it's floppy in the area, you know that you've got to, you know, you've got to shrink it up. Or if it's too tight in an area, you know, uh, sorry, if it's floppy in an area, you know, you've got to do some more stretching and bring the panel up. If you know that it's too tight in the area, you might have to shrink it down with a shrinking disc or something. Um, and then the the profiles are the buck station so that tells you your arrangement so you know your body lines or like your your radius of your guard or something like that yeah so that's that's the basic concept of it it's it's really just a buck um but it's very easy to store you know you can just you can fold it up and you can put it in a put it on a shelf and and you know your profiles they're only just like i make them out of like a three mil abs plastic and and put them on like a key ring type thing so then you can just hang them on the wall so then really when you for me in a custom shop if you're if i just built a one-off the one-off car i can give them back to the customer or i can store them so then if the customer was to ever you know they've damaged the quarter panel and where are you going to find a brand new quarter panel for a one-off you know bentley i can just remake that quarter panel off the you know, off those profiles already had because the car will probably already be painted. You know, you can't be playing with the other side of the car. Um, it just, yeah, it makes that very easy. Yeah, cool. And so that's something that, yeah. so if you if you put that, um, the flexible shape pattern, you built that off the left-hand guard, you can flip it inside out effectively to do the right-hand exactly. guard. Yeah, right. That's cool. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all it is really. It's just a buck that you can that you can store easier. Like, you know, instead of having – obviously, it's cool to have wooden bucks everywhere, but, you know, you're going to run out of workshop space quite quickly if you have them laying around everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah, cool. All right. No worries. Well, uh, I saw you you did a really cool one-piece hood for a, um, a, a, an advanced design Chevy pickup. Was that – that sort of hasn't really changed – anything you've just taken the the split joint out of the middle and and welded it together to create just a one a one piece hood right yeah pretty much i just i just basically come up with a, a bead line um just a, a random thing that i thought would look nice down the center of the center of the um down the bonnet um and we might might run it up onto the cowl area but uh yeah that's basically what it was just to shave just to turn the two piece into a one piece yeah mm. no that's cool and that's that's stuff you're doing at lucky's yeah, yeah, currently, yeah, that's um, that was that was for a pickup truck that I like is, yeah. And you've mentioned the Bentley a few times, and I think we should talk about it because it's it's just so wild. So, what <laughs> yeah, what year epic. is it? Was it originally a four door? What what's the story with that? So it's a it's a nineteen fifty six nineteen fifty six S one, which the S one was just the basic six cylinder, um, uh, just a just a basic just a basic four door uh, run of run of the mill. Um, production car um, that Bentley made. Like Bentley did have, um, you know, coach builders do like their Continentals and stuff like that. But this particular S1 Bentley is just a, you know, stamped body panels, um, four door, 
the sort of this rich person's car, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, so when I had started, when I had started like at Lucky's, you know, he he called me up and and he said, you know, I've got this Bentley for you to do, and um, it's been roof chopped, and the customer wants to turn it into a, a four from a four door to a two door that they had, they had already cut because of the roof chop, they had already cut the center pillar um, center pillar out. Um, and, and that was about it, really. So the roof had been brought down, nothing had been welded on. Um, so then I, yeah, so basically I just started with the, started with the sail panels just to, to make it like the, um, the rear C pillar, uh, the, the C pillar, just to, from the transition from the roof down to the quarter panel, just to make that um, look, you know, not so roof chopped anymore. Um, and then, it just sort of it just started escalating. Obviously, we we turned the four door into a two door, so I had to. They had originally had alloy doors um, on the because those cars were so big and heavy. All their bolt-ons were alloy to try and make them a little bit lighter. Um, so, you know, steel quarter panels, alloy doors. You can't weld them together. So I've got to make a new quarter panel, um, and also too, but made you know move the pillar back to extend the front door. So you know I've got to make a new steel quarter panel. Um, Started by started making the you know made you know made the quarter and then obviously you've got to make a new door skin because we changed that while while doing the door skin I thought that I, it'd be nicer to sort of clean up the line so I slimmed down the slimmed down the original pillar you know just to give a more consistent shut line um, they had a pretty ugly one from from original um, and also changed the the pillar at the front to make the the door sort of transition into that shut line a little bit nicer as well um, then we got to the hanging the guards. The guards were had some bad rust repairs and stuff like that done previously. By the amount of welding that I wanted was going to have to do um, to do all the all the different patch panels all over the all over the car, I was like, well, we might as well just make a new guard from scratch. So made a new guard from scratch, and 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 with that, I was able to you know just push around some of the the style lines and stuff just to make them more uh, coherent with each other. They originally just didn't just didn't really fit nice to get like it just looked proportionally wrong. So I was able to push some of those style lines around, thought I'd add a add a peak. The 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 S ones and the S threes just had the basic um just a basic sort of bubble um sort of radius in the guard. The Continental's come out with a peak. I like the look of the Continental guard so I, I ran a, a peak that faded out um you know through the center of the guard. Uh, where the headlight position was, we didn't like how flat and how the, the headlight in, in, interrupted the you know the reverse curve. So um, I just I cut the headlight out. Um, we got some TIG wire and just sort of let the TIG wire fall where it wanted to, um, and and that sort of created a really nice sort of reverse curve all the way through that center valley of the of the guard. So then you know made that massive reverse section through there, and then uh, the bonnet one piece of the bonnet put a nice peak through that. They didn't have the peak on the grill, so they needed to have to modify the grill. And then it was brass and had been fractured and stuff, so I had to remake the grill. When I was in the middle of remaking the grill, we thought, oh, we can make this look a little bit nicer because it's big and heavy. Let's slim it down, you know. So remade the grill, but a little bit slimmer. Put a peak through it, um, and then uh, reversing reversing that big valley section on the on the guard didn't really lend well to the factory bumpers. So we thought, okay, let's whip up a let's make some new bumpers so i foam modeled um got some 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 high density foam board shaped in uh something that i think would look nice as a as a bumper and then shaped it out of you know two um 
shape the new bumpers out of two mil, and the bumpers are they're a gnarly piece of metal, like massive reverse curves and stuff in them. So, yeah, re- remade the bumper. Obviously, that then because we made the front bumper, the rear bumper didn't look so nice, so we remade the rear bumper. Um, the trunk, we sectioned. We sectioned. It was they got real. They're real humpy in the back of the of the Bentley. So we cut a section out of the out of the original. I sort of just cut a section out of the original and then sort of just taped it up just so I could sort of get the look I was after. Um, so I think we took maybe an inch out of the height of the sort of the, um, the horizontal section of the of the boot, and then we took about an inch and a half out of the sort of vertical section. Um, so it's pancaked down and laid over just to sort of take the, the bubbliness and make the car flow a little bit better. Um, after I had that done, I was looking at the car, I was just sitting there sort of uh, looking at my work and, and just noticed some funny things with the highlight lines that I wasn't so happy with. So, um, and, that, and that was to do with the in-between the, the sail panel and the, and the trunk section. Just because we had lowered it or it just was heading in the right angle, in the wrong angle. So I you know, got the grinder out and just ripped a hole through that and <laughs> lent that down a, a quarter, a half an inch. Um, uh, we moved the sill panels down a little bit lower, and in that we extended the doors. Um, we extended the sill panels down a little bit lower, but just slimmed them up, and then made the doors a little bit longer. Just to, it's just a, it was all just fixing proportions, and and a lot of it we were quite lucky that the car had a lot of damage, like poor repairs and rust. That in that we were able to make the car look better as well. So like we weren't sort of remaking a front guard just for the sake of remaking a front guard. It was remaking it because there was problems. But then, you know, we were able to fix, you know, lines and stuff like that. And then it just sort of become an escalation with every single little piece that we've done. Um, so, yeah, so now I'm at the point where I've remade the entire outer shell of the car by the centre of the roof. Um, and, yeah, <laughs> and, now, and now, like, you know, I've got to make it all the inner door frames and inner boot frames and inner bonnet frames and, yeah, all the fun part now. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a bit of a crazy thing to even get your head around. But, uh, yeah, it's basically a brand-new car um, from, yeah, from the outer shell, yeah. It sounds to me that if I asked you to fix one little thing on my car, I'd end up with a new car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, got a, I've got a real problem of, like, seeing, like, faults in things like you know like proportionally in things i just sort of think like oh you know that could be a little bit better if it's just a touch wider here or you know those body lines don't flow so nice together and yeah so it just turns into a big escalation all the time but i mean with the bentley like a really it, it looks like it's such a like the only thing that we didn't really need to do was the the the, the, the customer wanted a one-piece bonnet so that's why we one piece the bonnet you know, we didn't make, have to make the bumpers. We only made the bumpers because we had to remake those bits on the front guard, you know. So the really only thing that we've done that has been fixed, like the outside of what the customer sort of asked for was the bumpers. But when we sort of told him the reason for making the bumpers, he was like, yeah, go for it, you know. And the bumpers only took, um, I think the, the rear bumper took maybe six days and the front bumper uh, probably, you know, maybe eight days. So it's not huge amount of extra work i guess yeah mm, no it's amazing and did bentley do a two-door like is that semi modeled off something that they had done or were they all four doors um 
So no, so they they made the four door like the S the S ones and stuff were S ones, S twos, S threes were all four doors, but they did make the Continental. But the Continental had very very similar, like you know, to the layman that doesn't really know their Bentleys, they're just going to see two Bentleys and they're probably going to look quite similar. But they are they are quite different. Um, the the two doors to the four doors, but to be honest, I think our two door looks better than their two door. Mm. Um, it's and, and that's what we we're sort of going for. Like once we started getting into this, we tried to come up with like a bit of a bit of a backstory because like, you know, they were coach built, like Bentley have always, there's coach built cars ever since they started. Um, actually pretty cool. There's a, there's a coach, there's a coach house called, uh, back in the day it was called HJ Mulliner. Um, and they were, they started off building, building coaches in like the 1800s. And then they, they got the contractors build a lot of the Bentleys. Um, and it got to a point where Bentley actually bought Mulliner off, um, off the the family um, that you know no longer wanted to do it. And still today, if you to go to Bentley and you want a one-off car, um, it would be a Mulliner Bentley. So it's, the coach house has been around for like a couple of hundred years, which is um, super cool. Um, so we're trying we're trying to go down that like as if you know like a bit of a rich kid or something like that said, hey dad, you know like I want a one-off car for my first car or something, um, you know, and I'm kind of thinking like if the, if the F, the F series um, sort of design team and the continental design team sort of like, you know, were co-mingling in the lunchroom or something like that and come up with a bit of a car that maybe like this could have been what they come up with. Um, so yeah. we're still trying to create a lot of that like handmade element in the car. Um, yeah. So like for instance, at the moment, like we've got a W12, um, continental motor that's going to go into it, um, like the, the modern like two twin turbo thing, um, and we're trying to make the original rocker covers off the W12 look similar to the original S, you know, the S series, um, S series rocker cover and, and things like that. So um, yeah, we're trying to make that that, and and, and we're not three D scanning. You know, we're not going to just model that in the computer and um, and do it because they would have originally casted it like that would have been something that a, a, a human made and it's going to be perfectly imperfect you know like the the radiuses are going to be slightly different and stuff like that that, that human would have done his best but it would have been not exactly so that's basically what i've done i foam modeled foam modeled over the top of the original valve cover and then done filler work and stuff like that and obviously using radius gauges and all that sort of stuff tried to get it as perfect as i could but being a human i am going to make slight you know, make mistakes and discrepancies where the body will be a little bit, you know, different in certain areas. And that's what coach built cars were. Um, typically they were made by two different people. Like one guy would make one size of car, the other guy would make the other. So there would be slight discrepancies in that. And I think that's sort of like a little bit of the beauty of a handmade body. No, absolutely. And yeah, that's, that's so much work. It's awesome. So, <laughs> so I, yeah. I can imagine you walking around a car show, for instance, and looking at, a vehicle, whatever it might be, and in your head, you're picturing how it would be better. Like, are, are you? Do you sort of walk yeah, around yeah. and re bottle things? Yeah. yeah, unfortunately, um, it's a bit of a curve. <laughs> it's it's. I I very I, I struggle to really get impressed, and and it's it's it sucks. You know, like I I mean, if it's a home builder, like if I go to like a local car show or something, I get really like you know i'm happy to like you know oh that's sick you know like show me what you've done and stuff because like there's they've you know they've done that it's a little bit different when i go to a car show um i still obviously try and you know all builders are very they're very good and they do have different ideas and stuff so i like seeing that 
but I can't help but you know my eyes pick faults. I mean, I pick faults in my own work all the time. It's just a, it's just a constant um, a constant battle, but it's just that's just the reality um, of you know the exposure and the things that I'm trying to learn. And sort of, I guess, trying to chase perfection all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, you're just gonna you're just gonna do that. But that's you know that's just part and parcel of it. Mm. So. So let's say you win Tatsoto tomorrow. Um, Aiden can buy whatever car he wants and customize it. What What's the car that you would buy, and what would you do to it? Or Or what pickup truck would you buy? <laughs> uh, I think pickup truck. It would probably be. Uh, it would most likely probably be like a fifty-eight. Um, probably a fifty-eight. Chevy like a delivery, um, but it would sort of be like a, a two. I'd probably sort of turn into like a two door wagon, so I could sort of have you know like fam- like you know have a nine seats or something for the family, um, you know, and the dogs and stuff like that. You know, flash fit type bumpers and like all that sort of stuff. You know, LT four and independent front and rear suspension and stuff like that. So like I'm I'm sort of into like that sort of uh, I guess car that you could take to a racetrack and and just. Sh- throw it around and then also to just be able to just get in it and just have that reliability of like a modern motor and, and cruise around. I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I, I'm still not a bit of a car snob. Like I sort of like everything. Um, I just would change it, you know, like, so I, I don't really mind. Like I could sort of take anything and sort of like, Oh, this is where I could improve it. And, and I could be happy with that. Um, but I guess I, I've always been a bit partial to the, the Chevy pickups. So, um, yeah, I think I'd have to probably go with like a shit, like a, some sort of like 58, um, 59 sort of model Suburban or something. Yeah. yeah, Suburban or a panel truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So what would be really cool is if you went and worked for a modern car company and made some of these new cars look better than they do because they, they <laughs> all look the fucking same and they're shit ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's, I've, I've actually got a funny relationship with new cars. I sort of... Yes, I think they all look shithouse, but I appreciate, I really like, I've got a real, like, I like to look at, say, like a modern, like Mazda 6 or something, and I go, like, how would they make that door? And, and one, the one thing one thing that modern cars, like, yes, they look shit, and I don't like the way that they, they're designed, but what I do like is the way that they are, they are designed in clay and all that sort of stuff where, you know, you'll have a body line will transition, like, say, through, a mold like through a molding in a headlight or something like that you can see like correlation in the design and uh that's something that i always like to try and bring into uh into a modern like into when i'm building when i'm building an old car i go okay how can this line transition it so like the car feels so the car still feels like coherent so like the way that i say like on the bentley um there's actually a line where the bottom of the bumper bar the way that it will like sort of the shut line of the bumper, but the front bumper bar will actually run like it runs up over the, like it follows the guard line, runs across the peak of the guard all the way through the door, up the quarter, all the way down and then down to the, the shut line of the rear bar. So I've, I've made that one line completely, you know, part of, part of the design of the car. And I think that's something that in modern cars they do very well, but in old cars they've done horribly. So I like to try and add, that sort of stuff into a car where it's like it's different, but it's like, why the fuck is it different? And you can't understand. Like, a, a mo- and most people will look at that stand there and look at that car and be like, there's something with it, but they just don't understand why it looks good. And it's it's those little things like you know improvement of shut lines and and just the, the way that the panel flows. Um, 
makes a big difference. And that's, so that's what I really appreciate about modern design. That I, So I'm always looking, I'm always like staring, like I'll just be staring at a car on the road, like it will just be like a Kia. And my missus will just be like, what the fuck are you staring at? And I'll be like, that body line there just interests me, you know, like I just, like that's the way I look at things. And I like to try and figure out how I would transfer it into metal and, and add it into a, into a car. So like there's a, there's a line on the Bentley that I actually took off a Mazda. Like I looked at the way it transitioned um, and the, the way that the steel panel transitions through to the guard. Um, that's a, that's a, a, something I saw on a Mazda that I transitioned into the Bentley. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I, I find, you know, with the pickups and I guess the more and more you know about vehicles and then you see guys who've sort of put different bits together and you know that it's not the right part in my, I, I get a little bit, it's not the right bit. Sometimes it works and it looks really cool. But I, I often see guys who've taken maybe an Australian pickup that that here in Australia never had rear guards. So most most of our trucks were always just a flat tray truck, for instance. Yeah. And, yeah. and they'll, I mean, if you want to buy an aftermarket rear guard, you've got a choice of Ford or Chev, really. There's not much else out there on the yeah. market. And so quite often you'll see a different brand, say an International or a Dodge or something like that, and they'll use a Ford or a Chev guard because, you know, and I, it totally makes sense. That's what's available. Now build their own tub. But but the rear guard doesn't really match the front guard, and, and I really yeah. struggle with that, and I think that's sort of what you're saying. And Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and, and even with – yeah, I, I totally hear what you're saying because – well, even the factory pickups, like the, like say the 60, 63 to 60, I think it's what, 67 um, Chevy pickup, the front guard, like say it's a step side, a step side bed, um, the, the, rear, the rear guard is off the 55 to 59 model yes, truck. Yeah. And, it, and it drives me crazy. It's a completely wrong body line. It's like nothing, nothing lines up. And it, that just it sends me wild. I, I love that model of truck and I think it looks good in a step side, but I, 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 I like, I always see it. I'm like, just Jesus, why did they not just make a, a, a decent looking guard for that? So like that's even a modification that you could do that just so simple, just remaking a new guard or off the back, um, you know, model it a little bit off the, off the, the body lines off the front, off the front of the car and put it on the step side. And you'd look at that car and be like, Oh, that looks so good. But why, you know, and it's that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The the modern version of that that drives me insane is so the new the new dual cab Land Cruiser Utes, which you know you're not going to get any change out of eighty grand for, and instead of building a new mold and and building a a back door for them properly, they cheaped out and they put the seventy six series back door on, so you've got yeah, yeah. you've got this wheel arch where there's no wheel. And then they've got this filler panel thing there, and it just looks. Every time I see one, it drives me mental. And and then the wheel's sitting, you know, another six inches back, and I'm like, why couldn't you just make that door square off properly, and it would look so good? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess it's just the the tooling. I, I mean, that's not like for a for that. It's a lot. If that was a one off truck, a lot easier, a lot cheaper to do than in the factory. I guess you know for them to tool up and, you know, design that part and then have that part CNC'd out of a massive, like, you know, the stamp, you know, CNC'd out of a massive block of steel and then, you know, 
how many are they going to sell and what. Like, I guess that's all that stuff that they have to go through. That which sort of, I guess that's the beauty of the plastic is that with the with the plastic bumper bars and stuff, they're able to, you know, change make those changes on like sedans and stuff for those metal trucks and that. And you know, they yeah. And it's and it's the unfortunately the five percent of us that give a shit. Everyone else doesn't even see exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Most people just it's a, it's something to get to A to B or to take the um, even 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 if they're into land cruisers, you know, it's just so they can go camping in with the family anyway. They're not gonna, you know, care about the the design of the design of it. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a, a hundred ton brake press uh, in my workshop, and I've been building a whole bunch of tooling to do effectively reproduction tailgates for the early chef trucks and yeah and i'm really starting to appreciate how much is involved in in factory pressing a panel because the amount of different um press molds that i'm having to put together just to make a tailgate it is so much work i'm like wow you know and that's a flat piece that's basically a flat piece of steel yeah just about yeah it's flat flat, a couple of round bits and yeah. yeah thanks for coming and yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's um, it's really. Well, cool. some quarter panels and stuff will be like three or four, three or four step process just to do you know one quarter panel. So yeah, yeah, no, it's cool. Oh mate, well we've been chatting for a long time. It's been really cool, and um, you know, like as, as I mentioned at the start, I I've been following your work, and I really do appreciate the the skills involved. I mean, you know, as you say, for you, certain things would be be just an easy thing to do, and then and then for the layman in his workshop, you know, you couldn't imagine how to do it, but it's it's just practice and, and a couple of but, you know you, you can get a hammer and a dolly and a and a sack full of sand and and you can do a lot of this stuff the hard way um you know it's you don't have but you're still learning you're still learning in that it's still a lot to be learned yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. so yeah oh that's cool and yeah. i think one of the most important things with that is like you know if you're going to start doing that in your shed just just make it fit something you know, like if you have, if you've got a little bit of a, like, you know, a bit of a guard, even though that, that like your your car is, it's, it's in fabrication stage, but, you know, you have a bit of a play around with the metal and just make a section on your guard just to fit over the top of it. You don't have to, don't have to weld it in and all that sort of stuff, but like make it fit the part. You, you'll be surprised on how much better your metal shaping will be if you're actually making something fit something instead of just making something for the sake of making something. Um, that's one of the biggest things I would say to someone that wants to start out is, you know, make, make a part actually fit a part because that's where, well, that's where all the work is. You know, it's very easy to make a 32 quarter look like a 32 quarter, but it's not even close to fitting, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, so if you just have to pull it back a quarter of an inch or whatever, you know, you've got to work out how to shrink it and and do that sort of thing. Exactly, because that's the that's the finesse of actually making something that is the hardest part. Um, you know, it's very easy to make something look like something, but it could be, you know, completely wrong. And and and, and like I said earlier, it's a step by step process. So you know, you're going to learn when you're making it fit something. You're going to learn how to do all those steps. It's very easy to go say a 32 forward. You know this is what you make a quarter panel look like and you can shrink that edge over then you put a bead roll in and then you know you should you do a little bit of low crown english wheel work and oh great it looks like a 32 but you know how much did you have to shrink it over when do you put that bead line in like all those little steps um i think if you make something fit your car it, it makes that process a lot easier yeah no that's awesome yeah all right, mate. Well, yeah. look, really appreciate your time. So, if guys want to no, no follow you and have a look at your work, uh, I know you're on Instagram, 
Coachworks by Aiden. Coach by Aiden. Yep. Yeah. Um, do you have a Facebook or anything like that? Or yeah, I've got I've got a Facebook. Um, I mean, it doesn't. It really just gets the share across from Instagram. Instagram's just where it sort of has um, sort of has taken off for me. So um, yeah, that that's definitely the best place um to get on. And then you know, I'm always I'm always open there for people to um, you know, ask me questions like send me a DM or something like that. You know, if people have a TIG welding question or you know, a little bit of a metal shaping question. I'm probably, you know, getting sort of six to ten messages per day of people um, that are wanting, you know, a little bit of assistance here and there, and, and I'm happy to happy to give it. The more I can help, the better. Yeah, awesome. All right, mate. Well, look, I really appreciate your time. Appreciate your craft. Uh, you know, a lot of people say it's a dying art, but I think there's enough of you guys out there who are doing it that, that it's not dead. It's definitely still some real steel out there, and, and it's great to see it being worked on. Yeah, you know, Instagram. Instagram is definitely keeping. Uh, it's sort of spread that community. I think I've, it's really taken off. I think Instagram has really helped. You know, shapers all across the world sort of connect and and share that sort of knowledge. That it's actually it's not getting lost anymore. It's not just an old dude in the shed that knew how to do it. Um, the young guys are starting to take over a little bit now. Yeah, yeah. and and I mean that's you know that's where you can forge a skill that not many people have, and then you can actually make money because if they want you to do the work, they have to pay you for it. Whereas, yeah, you know, if it's, exactly. if it's just buy a part off a shelf and bolt it on, then anyone can do that. So yeah, I, I, I think for young people that are listening, you know, don't, don't just go and learn how to make coffees, go and learn a trade and, and keep, keep our automotive uh, hobby. Yeah. Alive. It's there. And it's definitely, you know, like that's one thing that I've like to learn as well. Like, you know, when, especially when it comes to like coach built cars is that, like say even in the tough times in an economy, a coach built car, like a, say like a Ferrari GTO or something like that, it's never going to go down in value. It's only going to go up. And those sort of things are, is where a coach builder comes in that you're never going to like the, those people, uh, you're always going to need a coach builder. Like for that, for that reason, um, these, these things are, you know, they're getting the older, the older and older it gets. These, these cars that were made in 1914 or whatever are getting, you know, fewer and fewer. And if something happens to them, only a coach builder is going to fix it. You're not taking it to your smash shop. So um, it's, you know, it's important for, you know, young people to still get in and do that sort of stuff. And, and yeah. Absolutely. Well, we look forward to seeing the Amarok finally make it to the ground. And, um, you know, maybe one day you'll you'll get yourself a an early truck and, and join your dad in the love of the good Chevy pickup. But, uh, mate, really appreciate yeah, your time. And, uh, yeah, as you said, people can reach out to you at, uh, at Coachworks by Aiden. And, uh, yeah, thanks for the chat, mate. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, thanks. Uh, keep on just doing your thing. It's, the podcast has been uh, really great so far. So, yeah, keep up. Keep it up. Cool. Thanks, mate. No worries. Well, that's the show for this week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. All information shared in our episodes is general, and you should contact your engineer for advice on your build. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with friends and fellow enthusiasts on Facebook, iTunes, or the good old word of mouth. I appreciate hearing feedback, good and bad, so please feel free to shoot me an email, classicpickuppodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in advertising on the podcast and have a relevant business, please get in touch. And finally, if you have a project you're building, it can be hard to find the time to work on it. Just spend 15 minutes a day Even if you only unbolt one panel or mount one bracket, you'll be amazed at how quickly it all adds up. The music you hear in the background of this podcast is called Hammer On Down by Uncle Bonehead. Until next week, 
Enjoy the ride.